Good morning and welcome. A little disclaimer before I begin is that uh, we have a granddaughter, Bertie Miller, and she's having her fifth birthday today, and it starts at 6, and we have 372 miles to drive. So I'm leaving right after this message, and I hope you understand and will indulge us in that. And so now for the benediction. We will. <laughs> Actually, I understand the air conditioning is out again, so it can get very warm in here. And I thought of a story that Bill Carell's dad, when he was alive, would tell us about when this building was built. It didn't have air conditioning, and they held the conference annual meeting here. And uh, Bill's dad, Bill, uh, told me, he said, yeah, those old Swedes, they wore suits, and they wouldn't even take their wool coats off when it was so hot. So we have a lot to live up to, don't we, uh, in our heritage and our legacy. Uh, so anyway, I'm going to preach until you all fall into a coma or I go first. And... Uh, uh, so hopefully it won't, uh, won't be too long. Actually, in, I want to quote King Henry VIII, uh, his fourth wife, Catherine of Aragon. This is what he told her, and this is what I'm telling you. I won't be keeping you long. And uh, so, see, some of you got that, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, but we come, uh, Bill read for us out of Proverbs, and we've been doing a short series uh, this summer in the book of Proverbs, all keyed on chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. And in that passage, if you've been with us, and if you're familiar with the book of Proverbs, uh, Solomon is telling us about what God hates, what God hates. And it tells us there are six things that God hates, yea, there are seven which are an abomination to him. And we've been taking each one of those items uh, every Sunday and uh, kind of unpacking it according to the book of Proverbs. Remember, Proverbs is what's called wisdom literature. It's a, a, a form of Hebrew poetry, and it is a rich, rich book. And as I've encouraged you and told you before, uh, Proverbs is probably the most practical applicational book in the Old Testament. And uh, many of you make the practice of reading uh, a chapter of Proverbs per day, and that'll take you through the whole book in one month. And it is good practice uh, to do so. But it's wisdom literature. In other words, uh, how do we live skillfully in life? Uh, we need wisdom. And so you will notice as you read through Proverbs, there is the contrast between foolish living and wise living. And nobody wants to be called a fool and be known as one who lives foolishly. And so we should pay attention to what it means to live wisely. Of course, uh, in this chapter, in chapter 6, the uh, writer of this proverb, Solomon, <clears throat> has introduced us. He's teaching his son. Now, whether or not it was a literal son or a group of students that were learning, it is directed primarily towards young people, and yet uh, we all can find many uh, gems to learn from as we go through the book of Proverbs. But here in chapter 6, he's introduced three inferior types of people. In verse 1, he says, My son, if you become surety for your neighbor, you better watch out, basically. In other words, placing yourself in, in uh, a responsible position that you can't get out from under. Chapter 6, verse 6, uh, the lazy man, old sluggard. And then chapter 6, verse 12, the wicked man. And he goes on to detail seven marks of insurrection that the wicked man does. And then chapter, in verses 16 through 19, the ver passage we've been looking at, there are six things the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him. And he uses five body parts uh, because, remember, 
uh, Hebrews were known, uh, uh, Jewish people were known for their oral history and for their memory of God's word, and they would memorize it, and this would help them, especially children, to memorize what God hates. And he uses parts of our body, he says, uh, haughty eyes, in other words, a prideful look, which is a reflection of a prideful life or heart, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, and feet that run rapidly to evil. And then in verse 19, he leaves the, the metaphor of the human body, and he talks about societal ills. And this is the one we're looking at today, is a false witness who utters lies. It's curious to me that in these seven things, twice he returns to the issue of lying. Twice he returns to the issue of untruth uh, in this short, short passage. Remember, the book of Proverbs is a a book that teaches us how to live skillfully uh, with discipline, with discipline, if you will. Uh, We want to all live wisely and skillfully, and that's what the book of Proverbs helps us to do. Chapter 1, verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Uh, so we don't want to be fools who despise wisdom and instruction. And God's word is given to us to instruct us and to give us wisdom. And so hopefully uh, through this series of understanding what God hates, and then we look at the flip side of the positive values that God expresses through the book of Proverbs, we have a better understanding of these things. And so we've, we have looked at this. Dr. Bruce Waltke, who has a probably the best commentary on the book of Proverbs. Uh, these 31 chapters, he takes two large volumes to expound upon them. And uh, he writes in his commentary that uh, at the foundation of truth lies the very character of God. At the foundation of truth lies the very character of God. In the fall of 1989, Princeton University welcomed its freshman class and into that class a young man named Alexi Santana. His life story, as he told it to the admissions, admissions committee, had found, they had found extraordinarily compelling. Uh, he had barely received any formal schooling. He had spent his adolescence almost entirely on his own, living outdoors in Utah, where he had herded cattle, raised sheep, and read philosophy. Running in the Mojave Desert, he had trained himself to be a distance runner. Alexi Santana quickly became something of a star on the campus at Princeton University. Academically, he did very well. He earned A's in almost every course. His reserved manner and unusual background gave him some kind of enigmatic appeal. When uh, his dorm mate asked him why his bed always seemed to be perfectly made, He answered that he slept on the floor, which seemed perfectly logical for someone who had spent much of his life sleeping outdoors, and he would not have any fondness for a bed. All great, except that Santana's life story was a lie. About 18 months after he enrolled in Princeton, a woman recognized him as somebody she knew as Jay Huntsman at Palo Alto High School in California six years earlier. But even that wasn't his real name. As the Princeton officials eventually learned, he was actually named James Hogue. He was 31 years old, and he had served a prison term in Utah for possession of stolen tools and bike parts. parts. He was taken away from Princeton in handcuffs. In the years since, it's recorded that Hogue has been arrested several times on theft charges, 
In November, he was arrested for stealing in Aspen, Colorado, as he tried to pass himself off as yet another person. And so that is the story of a liar. It's interesting, in the June issue of National Geographic of this year, their title or cover story is, Why We Lie. And when I read, I just read the cover and I said, I think I know why, without even reading the article. It's because we're liars by nature. Our sin nature, we are liars. But, uh, you know, liars like this guy, like James uh, Hogue, earn notoriety because they're so brazen and damaging in their falsehoods. Uh, but their, uh, the article tells us their deceit doesn't make them as much of an aberration as we might think. The lies that imposters, swindlers, and boasting politicians tell us merely sit at the apex of a pyramid of untruths that have characterized human behavior for eons. In fact, if you're familiar with Will Rogers, he was a, or a, a humorist and a political pundit in the 1920s and 30s. And uh, he asked the question, how do you know that a politician is lying? And uh, he said that if his lips are moving, he's lying. And so it seems sadly that uh, that is exactly right on spot. But lying, it turns out, is something that most of us are adept at. The article in the National Geographic goes on to detail some of the scientific and biological and all the studies that have been done of why human beings lie. And it's a very interesting article, although they don't come to any really good conclusions, and especially not any theological conclusions. And we lie with ease in big ways and small ways to strangers, uh, to coworkers, friends, even our loved ones. The capacity for dishonesty is just staggering and is fundamental to us. And what is interesting is we want people to trust us and we want to trust other people. And yet uh, we uh, are terrible at detecting falsehoods and deceitful is woven into our very fabric. And so in a sense, to lie is very human because we are fallen as we remember that. Warren Wiersbe has written that God has called his people to be witnesses of the truth, witnesses of the truth in Acts 1.8, the passage out of Acts that, that uh, Bill read for us. It tells us there that we are to be witnesses of Jesus Christ, particularly the apostles that were gathered there at the ascension to be witnesses of who and what he is. But yet we go on in that great tradition of witnessing to the truth of Jesus Christ. And so we, of all people, need to be truth-tellers. Bearing false witness is a violation of the ninth commandment in Exodus 20:16. Without truth, things start to fall apart, don't they? People, if they lie officially, the foundations of society begin to crumble. Whether it's a statement from a government official, a clause in a contract, a deposition in court, a promise at a marriage altar, truth cannot be violated without society ultimately suffering. And I must say that families suffer, individual relationships suffer when the trust is broken, when uh, false witnesses come in. The British poet John Dryden wrote, truth is the foundation of all knowledge and the cement of all societies. And so we see here that God hates witnesses who lie. And again, I'm just looking at a few references out of the book of Proverbs. There's many, many. If you have Bible software or a concordance, you can look up all sorts of references that have to do with witness or at least 11 occurrences. In Proverbs 12:17, he who speaks the truth tells what is right, but a false witness deceives. 
Uh, it's Proverbs 14.5. A trustworthy witness will not lie, but a false witness utters lies. Proverbs 14.25. A truthful witness saves lives, but he who utters lies is treacherous. You know, in Proverbs, there's a, there's a positive statement and a negative statement. They contrast and complement one another. And it's very powerful as you read through the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 19.28. A crooked witness scorns justice and the mouth of the wicked spread iniquity. Proverbs 21.28, a false witness will perish. Proverbs 24.28, do not be a witness against your neighbor without cause, and do not deceive with your lips. Proverbs 25.18, like a club and a sword and a sharp arrow is the man who bears false witness against his neighbor. And then we look at the word speak in just a couple references here, Proverbs 12, 18. There's one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And either we can probably identify with either of those positions because we've experienced both. Uh, Proverbs 12, 19, a lying tongue is only for the moment. Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 14.25, he who utters lies is treacherous, and there are many other references. <clears throat> Another example is a man named Patrick uh, Cullenberg, and uh, his staff and fellow judges at the Los Angeles County Superior Court believed that he was a hero. Uh, by his account, he'd been awarded a Purple Heart in the war in Vietnam. He'd participated in covert operations for the Central Intelligence Agency, the judge boasted of impressive educational background as well, an undergraduate degree in physics and a master's degree in psychology. None of that was true. When confronted, this man, his defense was to blame a condition called pseudologia fantastica. <laughs> now, I don't want you remembering that one because I don't want you to remember bringing that up. Pseudologia fantastica, which is a tendency to tell stories containing facts interwoven with fantasy. But his argument didn't save him from being removed from the bench in 2001. So what are God's values in a positive form? I think we all already know all of that. But on the issue of truth, Proverbs 3.3, 3, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Remember, the very essence of God's character is truth. Proverbs 8, 7, for my mouth will utter true truth, and a wickedness is an abomination to my lips. Again, as I went through these many passages, I was struck by the fact that uh, in the book of Proverbs, there's an act of the will that I will do this, but I won't do this. And the fact is, is that we are all witnesses. Now, the choice is, is will we be a positive, righteous witness or an evil, false witness in how we communicate day to day? Proverbs 10, 13, on the lips of the discerning, wisdom is found. And many, many other references in speaking. Proverbs 8, 6, listen, for I will speak noble things, and the opening of my lips will reveal right things. God hates a false witness, and he values truth, justice, and mercy in all of these things. He makes it clear that the imaginations of our heart are eventually come out and what I said is because we are born as, as, as sinners, that we are liars by nature. 
and our flesh has that desire, whether it's to save our own skin in a situation, puff ourselves up, make ourselves look better, or to cover somebody else's actions. That is our natural tendency. But remember, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit who applies his word and takes passages like this, applies them to our life, and brings us to remembrance of those things. John Wesley, on bearing false witness, wrote these words. He described a false witness as speaking falsely in any matter, including that which speaks unjustly against our neighbor, to the prejudice of his or her reputation. And that's what we are doing if you're spreading untruths. I was going to do a big extended thing on social media today, uh, but I just want to remind you that it's easy to copy and paste or click and reshare social media things that we have personally not checked out. I remember just a quick story. Uh, there used to be a lady who, oh, there is, she's still alive, but she used to go here many, many years ago, and with the advent of email and the Internet, she was always sending me stuff that she had copied, obviously, from somebody else who had sent it to her. And uh, this was at the time, well, maybe it's still the time, the great hatred for Hillary Clinton. And uh, she would send me all this stuff. I finally told her that most of what she sent me was untrue because all you have to do is Google it to do a search on Snopes.com. There are many sites that do fact-checking. And many of the stuff she sent me was basically untruth. She was being a false witness through social media. And that is the danger for each of us today, whether you text on, or whether you're on Facebook, whatever the social media is. But remember that we do not want to be perpetrators of being a false witness. And sadly, especially over the last election year and even now, uh, Christian church is known as being false witnesses, especially on the political spectrum. So I would encourage you, if you are on social media, to fact-check whatever you're going to write or send to make sure it has actually happened or it is the truth. Make sure you do that. On, uh, in closing, uh, I used to watch, uh, what was that show that, about the Las Vegas pawn shop? I used to see that once in a while where people would bring stuff in and have them evaluated, and they'd try to sell it to them. But in one of the episodes on History Channel's uh, show about pawn shop, a man brought in a violin, and he wanted an appraisal on it. And according to his story, he had recently purchased a piece of property that included a house and a barn on this property. And after he bought this property, he was inspecting the barn, and he opened an old chest and discovered this violin tucked away inside. He dusted it off, and it was in near-perfect condition, and he found the word Stradivarius written inside the violin, and he was hoping it was worth millions of dollars. Well, the pawn shop guys, they always get a second opinion before they do anything. And the owners examined the value of the violin and also had an appraised, appraised by an expert. And the expert told the man that uh, this was not a genuine Stradivarius. Instead, it was a cheap imitation produced in the early part of the 1900s. And at best, it was worth around five or $600. Uh, nonetheless, the man was crestfallen in that. And the appraiser concluded by telling this owner, just because something has a label doesn't mean it's real. You know, for you and I, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are called Christians, which means little Christs. And uh, we wear that label. And uh, our neighbors, our family, people in the community know that. And we want to make sure it's not a false label. And one way to tell is if we are perpetrating false witnesses. And so we better not do that. 
And uh, as uh, God carries us along, we can trust him that he will give us the truth and we can be conveyors of the truth and be righteous witnesses. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and thank you for the fact that you've given us your word and we are so privileged to have it in our own language. And we thank you for that. Thank you that you have cared for your word and protected it and we have authoritative, uh, trustworthy, authentic copies of your word in our hands. And what a privilege that is. And thank you, Lord, that you have given us lips to praise you, but we also know that we can uh, use these lips and these tongues to uh, spread untruths. And we pray, Lord, that you would keep us from that. You would remind us of some of these passages in the book of Proverbs that we would be reminded to be truthful. And, Lord, thank you, and we praise you for that. And thank you that you can do that. In Jesus' powerful name I pray. Amen and amen. Well, as uh, the worship team leads in some closing songs, uh, I'm going to take my leave. And uh, so have a good week. Be blessed. And uh, we pray for you and are thankful to God for you. So farewell and Godspeed to all of you. Okay, bye. Savior